on. We need to build a good amount of gold before we can think about putting a down. a man with a family who owned the store in LA that day he crawled out of bed like he always did bacon and eggs with wife and kids he lived on the second floor of a little store he ran he moved to LA from Japan they called him immigrant in Japanese he'd say he was called Issei that meant first generation in the United States when everybody was afraid of the Germans afraid of the Japs but most of all afraid of a homeland attack and that morning when Ken went out on the doormat his world went black cause right there front page News three weeks before 1942. Pearl Harbor's been bombed and the Japs are coming. Pictures of soldiers dying and running. Ken knew what it would lead to, just like he guessed. The president said the evil Japanese in a home country would be locked away. They gave Ken a couple of days to get his whole life packed in two bags. Just two bags. Couldn't even pack his clothes. Some folks didn't even have a suitcase to pack anything in. So two trash bags is all he gave them. And when the kids asked mom, where are we going? Nobody even knew what to say to them. Ken didn't want to lie. He said the U.S. is looking for spies. So we have to live in a place called Manzanar, where a lot of Japanese people are. Stop it. Don't look at the gunmen. You don't want to get the soldiers wondering if you're going to run or not. Because if you run, then you might get shot. Other than that, try not to think about it. Try not to worry about it being so crowded. But someday we'll get out. Someday. Someday. As soon as war broke out, so the FBI came and they just come to the house and you have to come. All the Japanese have to go. They took Mr. Lee. The people couldn't understand why they had to take him because he's just innocent laborer. So now they're in a town with soldiers surrounding them. Every day, every night, look down at them. From watchtowers up on the wall, Ken couldn't really hate them at all. They were just doing the job and he wasn't gonna make any problems. He had a little garden, vegetables and fruits that he gave to the troops in a basket his wife made. But in the back of his mind, he wanted his family's life saved. Prisoners of war in their own damn country, what for? And time passed in the prison town. He wondered if he'd live it down, if and when they were free. The only way out was joining the army. And supposedly, some men went out for the army, signed on, and ended up flying to Japan with a bomb. That 15 kiloton blast put an end to the war pretty fast. Two cities were blown to bits. The end of the war came quick. And Ken got out big hopes of a normal life with his kids and his wife. But then they got back to their home and what they saw made him feel so alone. These people had trashed every room, smashed in the windows and bashed in the doors. Written on the walls and the floor, Jap's not welcome anymore. And Kenji dropped both of his bags at his sides and just stood outside. He looked at his wife without words to say. She looked back at him, wiping tears away, and said, Someday we'll be okay, someday. Now the names have been changed, but the story's true. My family was locked up back in 42. My family was there where it was dark and damp, and they called it an internment camp. When we first got back from camp, uh, it was pretty, pretty bad. I, I remember my husband said, Are we going to stay till last? Then my husband died before they closed the camp.
Are vegans healthy? Are vegetarians healthy? If you can't be careful, try to be good. Well, we cared and we cared as much as we could. We always agreed, me and my man. We said someday we'll try the family plan. The first thing we tried was nothing at all. It was an amateur ride and everything's here for. We charted my tides, followed my moon. But then someday it came a little too soon. I got the nine months of blues. But he was kind of happy when he heard my news I got the nine-month blues There was him and me and the baby made three But we made up our minds to stay that way With little bitty things made of rubber and such And cause we were friends we decided to go Dutch When we said I do, it was a solemn oath So we did and we did and it pleased us both We still can't figure out what went wrong But that's the first line of the nine-month song I got the nine-month blues Too much to gain, too much to lose I get out the dress and the sensible shoes I got the nine-month blues I said, this time around I'm gonna cast my stone I'm gonna have a chance to call my life my own But the SPC, the FDA They said, keep that child, don't fling it away the doctor said he had the right to refuse The law says if you want to beat the noose You gotta be rich or near to your grave So away I went again on my nine-month rave I got the nine-month blues Too much to gain, too much to lose And that time around I got a McTwos I got the nine-month Kids, but if I have any more, I'm gonna blow my lid. 
It's not just the 40 leaves on my mind. It's also the washing hanging on my line. It could be the worry on the old man's face. By thinking of the future of the female race. It all began with a love and a laughter, then with so much care. Such a long time after every nine months blues. Too much to gain, too much to lose. Now, don't you think we ought to have the right to choose to sing the 20-year blues? Good morning, mutineers, and welcome to Labor and Love. Some of y'all want to slow drag your things, y'all to kind of do it in some aisles a little bit there, Lou.
Okay, mutineers, welcome to the Labor and Love Show. You're tuned in to Mutiny Radio, and we do have a physical presence here, 2781 21st Street, in the heart of the Mission District, El Mero Mero. Uh, come on down to Mutiny Radio, a true community arts center. For a hundred bucks, you can have your own radio show every week. You can stand up and tell everybody what's what. A voice. We have an art installation, a particularly stunning one uh, at this point. And comedy. Mutiny is the headquarters for the underground comedy movement in the Mission and in San Francisco. Every year we host a comedy festival, which alas has passed this year, early in March. But you can come down on Friday with an open mic, uh, get some mic time, test out your chops. Mutiny Radio, far more than just a radio station. So we had our opening, uh, we had our opening set there. First of all, we had Etta James, and you probably uh, recognized her uh, rendition of Stormy Monday Blues, the great T-Bone Walker hit, and kind of a rundown of Working People's Week. Before that, uh, an echo of last week's show where we... uh, where we concentrated on women's right to choose. The nine-month blues with Peggy Seeger. Don't you think we should have the right to choose? Why should society get to use a woman's body and order her to take nine months out of her life? And leading off, we had Kenji, a rapper called Kenji, singing about the infamous, infamous imprisonment of Japanese Americans in California in May of 1942, talking about his father and how hard his father had worked to build up a business and how it was all taken 
got something by George Carlin here. Let's see. I'd like to play that if, uh, if I could, because it's a point really worth remembering. And we're, we're told in school about our rights as Americans. Well, here's George Carlin. See what you think about this. Boy, everyone in this country's always running around yammering about their fucking rights. I have a right, you have no right, we have a right, they don't have a right. Folks, I hate to spoil your fun, but there's no such thing as rights, okay? They're imaginary. We made them up, like the boogeyman. <laughs> the three little pigs, Pinocchio, Mother Goose, shit like that. Rights are an idea, they're just imaginary. They're a cute idea, cute, but that's all cute and fictional. But if you think you do have rights, let me ask you this. Where do they come from? People say, well, they come from God. They're God-given rights. Oh, fuck, here we go again. Here we go again. The God excuse. The last refuge of a man with no answers and no argument, it came from God. Anything we can't describe must have come from God. Personally, folks, I believe that if your rights came from God, he would have given you the right to some food every day, and he would have given you the right to a roof over your head. God would have been looking out for you. God would have been looking out for you. You know that? He wouldn't have been worried about making sure you have a gun so you get drunk on Sunday night and kill your girlfriend's parents. <laughs> but let's say it's true. Let's say God gave us these rights. Why would he give us a certain number of rights? The Bill of Rights in this country has 10 stipulations, okay? 10 rights. And apparently God was doing sloppy work that week because we've had to amend the Bill of Rights an additional 17 times. So God forgot a couple of things like slavery. <laughs> just fucking slipped his mind. But let's say, let's say God gave us the original 10. He gave the British 13. The British Bill of Rights has 13 stipulations. The Germans have 29. The Belgians have 25. The Swedish have only six. And some people in the world have no rights at all. What kind of a fucking goddamn God-given deal is that? No rights at all? Why would God give different people in different countries different numbers of different rights? Boredom? Amusement? Bad arithmetic? Do we find out at long last after all this time that God is weak in math skills? Doesn't sound like divine planning to me. Sounds more like human planning. Sounds more like one group trying to control another group. In other words, business as usual in America. Now, if you think you do have rights, one last assignment for you. Next time you're at the computer, get on the internet, go to Wikipedia. When you get to Wikipedia, in the search field for Wikipedia, I want you to type in Japanese Americans 1942, and you'll find out all about your precious fucking rights, okay? All right, you know about it. You know about it. Yeah. In 1942, there were 110,000 Japanese American citizens and good standing, law abiding people who were thrown into internment camps simply because their parents were born in the wrong country. That's all they did wrong. They had no right to a lawyer, no right to a fair trial, no right to a jury of their peers, no right to due process of any kind. The only right they had, right this way. <laughs> into the internment camps. Just when these American citizens needed their rights the most, their government 
took them away. And rights aren't rights if someone can take them away. They're privileges. That's all we've ever had in this country is a bill of temporary privileges. And if you read the news even badly, you know that every year the list gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You see how soon it is? Yeah. Sooner or later, the people in this country are going to realize the government does not give a fuck about them. Government doesn't care about you or your children or your rights or your welfare or your safety. It simply doesn't give a fuck about you. It's interested in its own power. That's the only thing. Keeping it and expanding it wherever possible. Personally, when it comes to rights, I think one of two things is true. I think either we have unlimited rights or we have no rights at all. Personally, I lean toward unlimited rights. <laughs> I feel, for instance, I have the right to do anything I please. But if I do something you don't like, I think you have the right to kill me. <laughs> so where are you going to find a fairer fucking deal than that? <laughs> so the next time some asshole says to you, I have a right to my opinion, you say, oh yeah, well I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. <laughs> then shoot the fuck and walk away. Thank you. Well, that was George Carlin. Reflecting on uh, what we call our rights and uh, pointing out that when rights really mattered, when people's rights came into conflict with overwhelming government power, they lost their rights. Their rights disappeared. As uh, Kenji wrote, those people in the... Uh, in the internment camps had no rights at all. They were American citizens. Their rights should have been theirs. Later in 1944, the Supreme Court said it had all been unconstitutional, but by then the damage was done. People had been separated from their lives. Children separated from their communities um, and humiliated, sent to live in uh, horse stables in concentration camps out in the desert. Labor and love here. And we're talking about, well, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Labor and love says, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. Labor and Love says, never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. This is Labor and Love Radio where the labor meets the road. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, fellow workers. This is the bee doing the morning shift with you every Saturday from 10 to 12. You can tune in and listen to us live, or you can tune in to our archived shows. We've got a whole long list of archived shows 
on the mutinyradio.fm website. Look under archive shows and pick Labor and Love Radio or any one of the other 40 or so programs we have here at Mutiny. And we've got them that cover everything. Um, We've got comedy shows. We've got interview shows. uh, Women's Magazine. Flat Black Plastic. Just to name a few. Uh, Labor and Love. See what we got for you today. Labor Commentary. Opinion. History. Strike in the New Haven School District. That means uh, Hayward and Union City. Another teacher strike. Working class history. What happened at this era, this time, in the past to working people? Little John Coltrane. We're going to play today. I haven't played Coltrane before. The labor beat, full of stories that affect you and me and all working people. We got our radio labor show. And Smedley Butler. Who was Smedley Butler? Smedley Butler was an American Marine general and uh, who happened to be Democratic. He supported American democracy, whatever there was left of it, as against a fascist plot. Let's first let's listen to um, this one called "War Is a Racket." Experience intervening in other countries and Smedley Butler, now a major general in the Marine Corps. Adored by his men, they called him Old Gimlet Eye after a wound sustained in Honduras. And at the end of his long and highly decorated service, he reflected upon his years in uniform. I spent 33 years and four months in active military service as a member of this country's most agile military force, the Marine Corps. I served in all commission ranks from second lieutenant to major general. And during that period, I spent most of my time being a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street, and for the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. Like all the members of the military profession, I never had a thought of my own until I left the service. I helped make Mexico, especially Tampico, safe for American oil owners in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefits of Wall Street. The record of racketeering is long. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1909-1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar earners in 1916. In China, I helped to see to it that Standard Oil went its way unmolested. During those years, I had, as the boys in the back room would say, a swell racket. Looking back on it, I feel I could have given Al Capone a few hints. Best he could do is operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents.
Okay, talking about uh, Smedley Butler. Let's see if we can get. Got War is a Rocket. There was another one I'd like to get. If we could. Mm, here we go. Smedley Butler, legendary U.S. Marine. Coming right up. Smedley Butler was a United States Marine Corps Major General, the highest rank authorized at that time, and at the time of his death, the most decorated Marine in U.S. history. During his 34-year career as a Marine, he participated in military actions in the Philippines, China, Central America, and the Caribbean during the Banana Wars and France in World War I. Butler is well known for having later become an outspoken critic of U.S. wars and their consequences, as well as exposing the business plot, a purported plan to overthrow the U.S. government. By the end of his career, Butler had received 16 medals, five for heroism. He is one of 19 men to twice receive the Medal of Honor, one of three to be awarded both the Marine Corps Brevet Medal and the Medal of Honor, and the only Marine to be awarded the Brevet Medal and two Medals of Honor, all for separate actions. In 1933, he became involved in a controversy known as the business plot when he told a congressional committee that a group of wealthy industrialists were planning a military coup to overthrow Franklin D. Roosevelt, with Butler selected to lead a march of veterans to become dictator, similar to other fascist regimes at that time. The individuals involved all denied the existence of a plot, and the media ridiculed the allegations. A final report by a special House of Representatives committee confirmed some of Butler's testimony. In 1935, Butler wrote a book titled War is a Racket, where he described and criticized the workings of the United States in its foreign actions and wars, such as those he was a part of, including the American corporations and other imperialist motivations behind them. After retiring from service, he became a popular activist, speaking at meetings organized by veterans, pacifists, and church groups in the 1930s. I appeared before the Congressional Committee, the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. The plan as outlined to me was to form an organization of veterans, to use as a bluff or as a club at least, to intimidate the government and break down our democratic institutions. 
The upshot of the whole thing was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men, which would be able to take over the functions of government. I talked with an investigator for this committee who came to me with a subpoena on Sunday, November 18th. He told me they had unearthed evidence linking my name with several such veteran organizations. As it then seemed to me to be getting serious, I felt it was my duty to tell all I knew of such activities to this committee. My main interest in all this is to preserve our democratic institution. I want to retain the right to vote. I have the right to speak freely and the right to write. If we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. No dictatorship can exist with suffrage, freedom of speech, and press. Okay, so that was that was a little presentation on Smedley Butler, for once a U.S. military guy with ideas about democracy and about preserving democracy and reflecting back on his career in the Marine Corps where his job was, as he said, was to make the country safe for American profits. Smedley Butler. Okay, we're celebrating... Gil Scott Heron this week. Gil Scott Heron left us a few years ago in May, so there's a there's a uh, connection there. Come on, everybody! Shut down the war machine. Get it up on him. Oh, yeah, yo. 
Gil Scott Heron there with uh, Johannesburg. Gil Scott Heron was born in Chicago. Uh, his, um, in 1949, on the 1st of April, 1949, uh, his mother was an opera singer who had performed in the New York uh, Oratorio Society. His father, Gil Heron, was the Black Arrow, Jamaican soccer player in the 1950s who became the, la the first black man to play for the Celtic Football Club in Glasgow. Gil was sent to live with his maternal grandmother when his parents separated in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, when he was 12, his grandmother died and he went to live in the Bronx in New York City and uh, impressed uh, high school teachers with his writing as one of five black students at a prodigious, prestigious high school, Scott Heron was faced with alienation and a significant socioeconomic gap. During his admissions interview, an administrator asked him, how would you feel if you see one of your classmates go by in a limousine while you're walking up the hill from the subway? He remarked, same was you. Y'all can't afford no limousine. How do you feel? This type of intractable boldness would become a hallmark of Scott Heron's later recording. The story goes, he, he was attending college in a uh, university in Pennsylvania because uh, Langston Hughes had gone there. And this is where he met Brian Jackson wrote a couple of novels, and then his life changed when he went to see The Last Poets. The Last Poets were a sort of proto-rap group from the 60s and 70s, and uh, he, he saw their show, and he went up uh, to them after the performance, and he said, can I start a group like you guys? I want to do what you do. And uh, then he began his recording career. Uh, probably his best-known work is this one. The revolution will not be televised. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. 
revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nubs. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Arm, women liberationists, and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. Song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keys, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or the Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Okay, Gil Scott Heron there. The revolution will not be televised. Before that, what's the word? Johannesburg. Johannesburg, South Africa, of course, where apartheid was a way of life. Country still shackled by that terrible, terrible institution. Trying to get rid of it. Who knows? For that, shut them down. Talking, of course, about nuclear power plants. This all fits together. The pollution of the earth is done by the hands of working people. How will we earn our daily bread if we can't pollute the earth anymore or exploit all the biological species Big problem for capitalism. Perhaps the thing to do is to look for a new relationship between the worker and the earth without the profit motive, the naked profit motive. Mr. Mark Cuban, a billionaire um, media guy, also owner of... uh, basketball teams says that there's it's the money's not going to get to the people who need it even if we redistributed it never happened and never will well right now the money is flowing directly to those who don't need it people who are just piling up more and more 
in some kind of mad struggle to be richer and richer and richer while their mothers without enough food to feed their children, their kids, one in five grow up in poverty, go to bed hungry, the richest nation in history, you hear people say that, the greatest nation in history doesn't feed its people. Another word on that Smedley Butler, I forgot to point out that that's American foreign policy. What America's trying to do, the United States is trying to do now, is overthrow a government, a duly elected government in Venezuela. This is just the latest in a long string of American intercessions in the business of South American and Central American countries. As Smedley Butler pointed out, he was a gangster for capitalism. Um, over and over again, the United States intervened in, well, he pointed it out, from Mexico to China and everything in between. All right, let's get with our radio labor podcast here. What's happening in labor news all over the world? Radio in Solidarity labor. News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor Global Report recorded on Friday, May 31st, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, a breakthrough in negotiations to renew a fire and safety accord for Bangladeshi garment workers. The Labor Start report about union events around the world and singing. From the slums of New York City This is Radio Labor. After 1,200 mostly young women garment workers in Bangladesh were killed at the Rana Plaza in 2013, two global unions, Industrial and Uni, negotiated a building and fire safety accord. The accord has reached the end of its original implementation schedule. Now, in a breakthrough, the Bangladesh Garment Employers Association, the BGMEA, has agreed to a new agreement. I talked to Jenny Holcroft, an assistant general secretary of Industrial, and asked her about the new agreement. The agreement is about what happens after the accord. In the second iteration of the accord, we've been very much about transitioning, hoping to hand over the functions of the accord to a national body. But up until now, the negotiations with the Bangladesh government and employers have not led anywhere. So what the agreement is that we've reached with the Bangladesh Employers Association is that together create a new body that would eventually take over from the accord, but that we would get 12 months in which to do that. So that that's the extension that's been granted to the accord by the court is to say, well, you've got 12 months to organize this transition to the new joint body. Tell us about this joint body. It's called the Sustainability Council. What will it do? The agreement with the employers is that this organization will take over lock, stock and barrel, the the operations of the accord, which was something that we were very concerned about, that the, all of the work and the staff and the functions would be lost somehow. 
So the idea is rather than handing this over to government and hoping that the government would somehow keep up the same level of inspections and transparency and remediation, instead we would build on the model that the Accord has created and create a new body which would also include the Bangladesh employers who are not part of the original Accord, which is agreement between global unions and global brands. So the new body would have a similar structure, but the Bangladesh employers would very much be part of it. So that necessitates a much stronger role for the Bangladesh unions in this new body. But we have 12 months to figure out the precise terms of the governance. You mentioned the unions. Will Bangladeshi garment unions continue to be involved after the council has taken over the activities of the accord? Well, yes. I mean, we hope that they will be more active than they have been in the existing accord because most of the discussions around the implementation of the accord program has been at global level between the global unions and the brands that own the accord. But we're hoping that by transmitting it to a locally based Bangladesh body, the RMG Sustainability Council, the unions based in Bangladesh will have a much stronger role in formulating the work and the governance of this new body. So we foresee a much stronger role for the local unions than they have had today. The two global unions which were involved in negotiating the original accord, Industrial and Uni, said the brands have to be treated more strictly. Do you foresee that strictness still continuing after the new council is established? With the brands, absolutely. I mean, we haven't got to that level of discussion with the BGMEA yet, but I imagine that they're going to realize very quickly that that relationship between the global unions and the global brands is absolutely essential because it means that the brands are tied to the sustainability solutions in their own supply chains. If the brands let up, then we can see very quickly that the factories will start slipping back again. And I think it's a question of who's got the leverage and what sort of sanctions you apply. The sanction that the accord has always applied has been the threat of withdrawal of business from the brand. Now, with the BGMEA in the picture, there's another possibility of sanction, which is the withdrawal of the export license, which the BGMEA controls. But that's a very blunt instrument because once it's withdrawn, then that's the end and it's not something that you want to apply readily. But if you combine that sanction with the sanctions of the threat of withdrawal of business, then you've potentially got a very rigorous system. But the, the role of brands is just as essential, will be just as essential in the new body as it is uh, existing because they're still responsible for the conditions in their own factories. The Accord was an initiative of two global unions, Industrial, your union, and Uni. Will the participation of Uni and Industrial continue in some way? Yes, absolutely. We have a role in the governance. Um, the governance is envisaged, or the agreement says that the governance will be the BGMEA, the brands, global unions, and local unions. So we're still there because we are the ones who can hold the global brands to account outside of Bangladesh. Our role will continue to be critical. But like I said, the day-to-day work of actually managing and running the accord, we hope to hand much more to the local trade unions. Has Industrial found that the accord has been successful? 
Well, it depends how you measure success, but if you measure success in terms of people dying in garment factories, it's been extraordinarily successful. We have not had, touch wood, any deaths in factories that have been covered by the Accord since Rana Plaza. The improvements to fire safety and building safety have been extraordinary to the extent that there's been a real cultural shift in Bangladesh, and these issues are taken very seriously now in a way that they weren't previously. It's really building a culture of safety I think there's still a lot more work to be done around employee empowerment around safety issues. I think there's still a very hierarchical way of running factories that potentially leaves unsafe situations to develop. I mean, we always hark back to Rana Plaza and the fact that workers were forced into the building even though they had concerns about safety. And we firmly believe that had those workers been unionized, they would have been able to stand up to the employer and not go in. And that right to refuse unsafe work is still uh, a concept that I don't think has got enough traction yet in Bangladesh. So yes, there's definitely more work to be done around the workers' role in in, um, protecting their own health and safety at work. But in terms of the structural issues of the factories and the culture that understands that safe factories is an important part of doing business, there has been very good outcomes, but also on a global level, having an initiative that's firstly legally binding and also working at the industry level instead of at the level of individual companies. This is transforming the way that global unions and global companies think about supply chain working conditions. So it's it's been a real threshold in the industry. And I think for other industries as well, it serves as a good example of what is possible. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages that were added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the general strike against austerity in Argentina, more attacks on union activists by company goons in India, and a climb to the peak of Everest by a Nepali trade unionist in an effort to draw attention to the ILO Convention on the Prevention of Violence and Harassment in the Workplace. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Vietnamese women, migrant workers at a garment factory in Taiwan, struck this week after management took action against the organizers of a strike in May that won the workers large sums of overtime payments that were owed to them. Mexican public sector workers showed signs of following their comrades in the automotive sector as a series of municipal strikes began this week. Workers at the Louvre in Paris took a day off work to demand increased staffing levels for the tourist season. Argentinian finance and taxation inspectors continued their wage strike even after the courts declared it to be illegal. In Côte d'Ivoire, abattoir employees also escalated their wage dispute into a full-blown strike. Senegalese teachers were demanding a wage increase and higher staffing levels when they struck on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Public hospitals in Burkina Faso were closed to all but emergencies as workers tried to force the government to implement a 2017 wage agreement. And in Kenya, a court suspended a strike by virtually all workers at a hospital over the failure of management to provide laboratory supplies needed to conduct blood tests. 
Our top working women stories included coverage of how migrant workers in Lebanon are organizing against both the state and their employers. Strikes by McDonald's workers in 13 U.S. cities over workplace sexual harassment. And how domestic workers in South Africa won the right to compensation for workplace injuries. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the huge reaction by Spanish unions to the death of yet another bicycle food delivery worker. Another in a long series of suicides by women working at a truck manufacturing facility in Spain and the ongoing struggle for safe road transport in Australia. Currently, Labor Start is running two online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here are the low tide drifters with every stitch.
That's it. International labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts on our website at www.radiolabor.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radiolabor. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Yes, indeed, it is about global solidarity. That was a radio labor report. I was looking up here uh, some statistics on uh, worker mortality. The AFL-CIO figures that 150 workers per day die on the job because of uh, hazardous situations. Um, And that song by the Low Tide Drifters about uh, accidents, quote-unquote, the uh, triangle shirtwaist compared with the one in Bangladesh... where people people just die, right? People just die for profits. Uh, doors are locked. People can't get out. People panic. Uh, one recurring uh, image to me, audio image, I guess you'd call it, is... Uh, the sound of those young women's bodies as they leapt from the Triangle Shirtwaist factory several stories up and hit the ground. Safety and health at work. Let's see what we got here. How many workers die per day? So... Well, we can do a quick 2.78 million deaths per year because of working conditions. Um, In the U.S., 150 per day. Well, we can do the math uh, while we're listening to some music. Let's... uh, This is when I was coming up and the U.S. wanted to go to war, an imperialist war, as is American history since the 1890s. Country Joe and the Fish. Here we go. Strong man, Uncle Sam, need your help again. Got himself in a terrible jam. Way down yonder in Vietnam. Put 
trucks and pick up a gun. We're gonna have a whole lot of fun. And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the 30 gates. Well, there ain't no time to wonder why. Woohoo, all gonna die. Now come on, Wall Street, don't be slow. A man was swore a go go. There's plenty good money to be made. Supply the army rules of the trade. Just don't forget if they drop the bomb. We're dropping on a Viet Cong. And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the pearly gates. Well, ain't no time to wonder why. Woo, all gonna die. Now come on, generals, let's move fast. Your big chance is here at last. Now you can go out and get those reds Cause the only good commie is one that's dead And no little piece can only be one When you've blown them all the kingdom come Sing it! One, two, three What are we fighting for?
del Norte. Okay, that was the uh, redoubtable Tigres del Norte. 
Somos más americanos. We are more American than the gringos. We have Indian blood. We've been here longer. The United States took away all these states, and he named the states. If you're uh, unaware of your American history, the whole one whole quarter of, of the United States, <clears throat> with several parts of 10 different states, including California, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, Nevada, were taken from Mexico after the Mexican-American War in 1848. So the point is the frontier changed. The people didn't change. We are more American than the gringos. Before that, Bob Dylan were celebrating Dylan's birthday, May 28th. Dylan's Union Sundown. Um, never realized how profound it was about how all the work has gone to cheap labor places all over the world and hardly anything is made here in the United States anymore. Sure was a great idea until greed got in the way and he includes big business-like unions in his critical criticism. I told you what we used to do when I was coming up. We sang this song called Country Joe and the Fishes Vietnam song. Don't ask me. I don't give a damn. Next stop is Vietnam. So let's play one more. I want to play one more. I wanted to play Margaret Cho's Mommy Heart Attack so fun for me, but I didn't really want to go on the cruise. Uh, I had a lot of reasons to want to stay close to home last year. Um, my mother had a heart attack, and uh, she's doing much better now. She's making a full recovery, and uh, really feels great. But It was really scary when it was happening. And um, my mother's very uh, new age. She astral projects. I like to leave my body. Uh, I started to do astral project in 1972. No, because I have very special workshop with Leonard Nimoy. And I like to leave my body, and I fly everywhere. <laughs> I go everywhere, and I hobble over your house. <laughs> They're so messy. How can you live that way? You had to clean up some time. I cannot believe it. Just do a little bit every day. <laughs> then all clean, you know. And mommy, I like to travel in altitude of 33,000 feet. You know, that's my comfortable cruising attitude. <laughs> But this particular day, I cannot even reach 8,000 feet. So I think something is very wrong. 
So I go back to my body very quickly. And I died 9-1-1. So in the ambulance, my mother is making out a very detailed treasure map for me to where all of the jewelry is in the house because my mother grew up during the Korean War so she can hide shit. Go to the guest bedroom. On the guest bed, there's a big comforter, many kids. Kid pictures, a picture of kid, you know, and there's scares, scares. Look to the top left hand corner of a converter, there's four scares. Go look four scares going to the right. One, two, three, four. On the fourth scare, there's a pocket. Open pocket carefully as not to detonate the bomb hidden underneath bed. <laughs> If you are still alive, <laughs> you will find a key inside of a pocket. Hold the key in your right hand and walk backward. Just walk backward, walk backward, and then you hit the cabinet. Cabinet is locked, the key in your hand will open a lock on the cabinet. And if you open cabinet, inside of cabinet will be further instruction. I wanted to stay home and uh, take care of my mom, and I wanted to, you know, stay off the road and stuff, and she wouldn't have it. You cannot cancel show. If you cancel show, mommy gonna die. <laughs> you have to think about our career. Our career? It's like gypsy all of a sudden. But I went home and. Uh... Okay, Margaret Cho <laughs> and her uh, mommy heart attack, how her mother reacted to a heart attack hovering over her daughter's house and pointing out how uh, dirty and disorderly it was. Margaret Cho. Let's look at our labor beat now. Um, stories from around the world. Stories from uh, Facebook that have to do with labor and working people. On May 26, 1913, 112 theatrical performers gathered at the Paps Grand Circle Hotel in New York City to found the Actors' Equity Association, adopting a comp uh, constitution and electing comedian Francis Wilson as the association's first president. Famous American hero, director and producer George M. Cohan said, I will drive an elevator for a living before I will do business with any actors' union. Later, a sign appeared in the New York Times reading, Elevator Operator Wanted, George M. Cohan Need Not Apply. Here's a post from Bread and Roses. Cartoon shows a boss talking to two workers in front of a smoking factory. Now, men, we must increase production or shut down. 
After demanding increased production from labor, the boss says, Now you've increased production too much. I must lay you off. And creating unemployment because of a surplus. This is one of the things that happens in the Great Depressions, in the Great Recessions. Overproduction. There's no plan. Everybody just makes what they think will sell. So the third, the third part shows the boss leaning against boxes and boxes of surplus production saying, where the heck can I sell this stuff? The unemployed workers are sitting on a bench. The employer finds that unemployed workers cannot buy his goods. And this is the story of capitalism, boom and bust. Never use a self-checkout, okay? This is from The People Will Win. Never use a self-checkout. They kill jobs. Self-checkout machines don't contribute with payroll taxes. They are really not that convenient. And this is something that's happening now in a lot of the big box stores. You have the option of going through self-checkout and checking yourself out. And of course, people do it because, you know, they're in a hurry or whatever. They want to get it done as quickly as they can. You're giving them your labor for free. You're doing the checkout. You're working for the company in that moment. So avoid them. Go, insist, tell the... Tell the checkout people that you prefer to deal with people and not digital machines. AT&T, here's one from Labor 411. AT&T has cut 23,000 jobs since getting a big tax cut, a big GOP tax cut. AT&T promised lots of good jobs if taxes were cut. Instead, it has shredded tens of thousands. AT&T has cut more than 23,000 jobs since the tax cut, despite lobbying heavily for the tax cut by claiming that it would create thousands of jobs. Well, why can't the government just make the jobs, huh? Why do we have to go through something that enriches those who are already well off? AT&T promised in November 2017 to invest an additional $1 billion in 2018, with CEO Randall Stevenson saying that every billion dollars AT&T invests is 7,000 hard hat jobs. Good jobs, he says, not entry-level jobs. AT&T cut capital spending and kept laying people off after the tax cut. A union analysis of AT&T's publicly available financial statements shows that it eliminated 23,328 jobs since the tax cut passed in late 2017, including nearly 6,000 in the first quarter of this year. 
So, you can't believe them. They took the money and gave it to their shareholders and their uh, executives. And it's legal. They can lie and say, <laughs> too bad. Bill would give California workers full pay for family leave. A bill in the state legislature would give workers 100% of their pay, 100% of their pay, instead of the 60 or 70% the program currently provides. It will help more low-income workers take paid family leave. Analysts say it would cost the program hundreds of millions of additional dollars the bill now goes to the state Senate. Currently, the California Paid Leave Program currently offers six weeks of partial pay for employees who take time off for a variety of family reasons. So these are all things that workers need and deserve. Gil Scott Heron, the 8th anniversary of his passing, May 27, 2011. Here's one. Companies that paid no federal tax. Okay, it shows how much money they made and how much taxes they paid how much money they made and how many taxes they paid. Profitable giants like Amazon pay zero in corporate taxes. Some workers are sick of it. Other companies that do very well and pay marginal taxes, in fact, get rebates. These companies paid no taxes. They got rebates. Delta Airlines, Chevron, General Motors, EOG Resources, and Duke Energy paid no corporate taxes and received actual tax rebates. Reminds me of uh, U.S. corporations that did business in Germany after the war sued the Allied governments for destruction of uh, their branches in Germany by Allied bombing and uh, warfare. That's some nerve now. First of all, you do business with the enemy during the war, and then you turn around and claim that some of those were your buildings and uh, you have to get recompensed. And they were recompensed, believe it or not. Labor and Love Radio says, you want to make heroes out of soldiers? These are some heroes. These were soldiers who refused to take part in the Sand Creek Massacre in 1864. This was a raid carried out by uh, irregulars. Colonel John Chivington got together a bunch of uh, whites and they attacked uh, 
200 Arapaho and Cheyenne people who were camped out. The brutal assault was carried out by Colonel John Chivington on November 29th, 1864. Okay. Two heroes of this, this horrific event. Refusing to participate, Sule and the men of Company D in the 1st Colorado, along with Kramer of Company K, bore witness to the incomprehensible. Shivington's attack soon descended into a frenzy of killing and mutilation, taking scalps, cutting off women's vulvas as trophies. Sule was a devoted abolitionist and one dedicated to the rights of all people. He stayed true to his convictions in the face of insults and even a threat of hanging from Chivington the night before at Fort Lyon. You want to make heroes out of soldiers? Those are some heroes. Labor and Love Radio says, food brands owned by Monsanto. There are more food brands owned by Monsanto than you think, and here are some of them. Aunt Jemima, Betty Crocker, Capri Sun, Frito-Lay, Healthy Choice, Kellogg's, Pepperidge Farm, Stouffer's Frozen Foods, a lot more too, General Mills, Hungry Jack, Interstate Batteries. Check it out on the Labor and Love website under Monsanto. Maybe the most alarming of all the widely recognized is Stouffer's. This Nestle brand, known for providing frozen prepared foods for families, is no stranger to being one of the brands owned by Monsanto. Stouffer's is listed as one of the companies that supported Monsanto's attempts to keep businesses from acknowledging genetically modified organisms. This is one of the leading providers of family foods, but now is as good time as ever to find a better alternative than this sold-out corporation. Labor and Love Radio says it's all about global solidarity. Italy unions refuse to load Saudi ship in protest over Yemen war. Our allies who murder and dismember U.S.-connected journalists. Our allies, North Korea, who murder embassy personnel because things didn't work out right. Is it time for America's industries to strike all at once? Teen Vogue asks. A general strike could change the game for workers. Of course it could. Of course it could. 
We had a chance to do this when Mr. Trump locked out federal workers. Nothing happened. A lockout should have stayed out. Amid declining real wages, wage strikes in the U.S. estimate um, increase. I think it was anyone else except our uh, mass media. We'd be we'd be encouraged by a wave of strikes. New Haven Teachers Union. Here, let's listen to this. This is a local. The union announced a new proposal Monday evening. Instead of requesting a 10% raise, it will come down to 7. The district is now offering 2. Let's see what they have to say about it. Veronica Dela Cruz, Ken has the night off. Let's get you right to KPX 5's Betty Yu, live in Hayward, where the New Haven teacher strike could soon be coming to an end. Betty? Veronica, talks continue at this hour, and as you can see behind me, teachers are patiently waiting for some sort of news. Both sides tell us they are confident and hopeful they can reach a deal very soon, perhaps even tonight. They picketed well into the evening for about a week, while negotiations between the district and the New Haven Teachers Association happened inside the Alameda County Office of Education. It's very heartening. You know, we've been here for over 30 hours on this labor, on this Memorial Day weekend. And, and frankly, up until today, we haven't seen a lot of movement. And to be fair, we haven't moved a lot either. Tonight, the union announced a new proposal. Instead of requesting a 10% raise over the next two years, they will come down to about 7%. And the district is now offering a 2% raise starting in January and a one-time 3% bonus this school year. At right now, the sticking point is we would like a raise um, to manage the cost of living in this area. Um, we have a lot of teachers who are very hard pressed to make rent payments. Teachers in the district are the highest paid in Alameda County with an average salary of $96,000. Still, for third year teacher Nikki Moore, she has to work two other jobs to make ends meet. She makes $72,000 a year as a teacher, but 10000 of that goes to health care costs. I mean, I do want to raise, but I also want to make sure that we're helping the students as well because if we get that raise it will mean so much more for the students more quality teachers the district serves around 11,000 students at a dozen schools in Union City and South Hayward the strike has taken an emotional toll on special ed teacher Lana Wallace who has 20 seniors and they're graduating I can't celebrate with them um, because we're doing this and it upsets me. Um, it's just sad all the way around. The union says that the district's latest offer as it stands is not ratifiable by its members, but it will not be walking away from the table tonight. Veronica? Betty, live in Hayward. Betty, we appreciate it. Thank you. And you can join Okay, New Haven teachers. Um, and it's just about time for us to get out of here. We've got, as usual, we've got more than we bargained for. Let's see. I get uh, my Willie Dixon here. 
This is Labor and Love Radio, and um, we're here every Saturday morning from 10 to 12, and here in this case is 2781 21st Street, or online at mutinyradio.fm. More than 40 different programs for your listening pleasure. This is Labor and Love Radio. Because so many things are we tell you a kind of variety of the program. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. That we must know about. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the menu. Various nations of the earth. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. We have been able to make to work with you today. Anything that we want to make. And do anything we want to do. It don't make sense. If you can't have created miracles. But it don't make sense when we can't make peace. You know, you made everything else. Wise men, great men from every nation in the world, all the countries in the world, have all kinds of conventions and festivals. Spend all the money. Suppose you had to spend half as much money on trying to make peace as you have been making war. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Bamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off. For <laughs> it's in duty, this. 
And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen Summer Cottage on the Mountain Ridge with the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show. One of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. 
If you're looking for some delicious late night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside you can find counter offer, and my offering you amazing late night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Blender's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. This is Tushar Matters with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station, the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to... Stand by me all the while. And stand by me all the while. Take happiness with the heart aches. Take happiness with the heart aches. And go through life Wearing a smile Go through life wearing a smile Ooh, We will be If we keep the command Flat Black Plastic Muni Radio.fm Moments of love 